And there came a day. A day unlike... Wait. No, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks in... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to episode 276 of Panelology. I'm Alex. And I am Brian. How you doing this week, Brian? Okay. I, uh, a lot of, lot of work, but I felt very productive. I felt like I actually got some things done, so I was happy. Awesome. With that. I know you had a rather uh, busy <laughs> week. Go Tech Week. Oh, not only Tech Week, my first Tech yeah. Week in a year and a half, and, uh, the show is up. Everyone is happy with it. I still feel like the tech week won. Like in 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 the battle that is me versus the tech week, <laughs> it is tech week one. Alex zero. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned it. Like it. Not only is it like is it like tech week the first one that you've done in a long time. It's the first one post quarantine after you know like so everybody not leaving their house for much and like yeah yeah it it gets a little exhausting kind of doing yeah like this this should have been an easy tech week i don't feel like it asked me to do that much right but it was exhausting yeah anyway right. we're gonna talk about comics yeah we are we're gonna do that uh yesterday as we record this was free comic book day i did i did go hang out and help work the comic shop which was nice nice uh Very i've got good. a stack of free books that i have not gotten to yet so yeah. uh maybe we'll talk about some of those next week maybe so for now however let's start with the unbelievable unteens number one yeah this was the uh this is the new uh new book from uh uh jeff lemire and um Art, colors, and letters, all by Tyler Crook, uh, designed by Josie Christensen. Would you um, say that Unbelievable Unteens is the umpteenth Black Hammer book? It, it definitely is the umpteenth Black Hammer book. So um, this is actually really, I this was super, super cool for a couple of reasons. One is, first of all, Tyler Crook, like just the art style of this, um, it is wonderful for Black Hammer and what it does. Like he's done a couple of other Black Hammer books books and uh, it's just 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 great i just love it so much um and this is the one where there is a writer um who writes and draws basically is a comic book creator like she does the whole thing right um and <laughs> come to find out that the comic book that she does the unbelievable unteens was actually real um <laughs> so her name is jane ito and um turns out that uh uh oh gosh hang on i got to find his name real quick uh because we've seen him before uh it's jack sabbath who um escorted them in well, like we saw him in uh, uh the original black hammer for a super brief moment as kind of like the dead man character who escorts people kind of in the afterlife kind of thing nice right um and <laughs> 
Turns out that he was a teenage superhero on the Unbelievable Unteens. And because she wrote this, he went and found a copy of it in, like, the Great Library, right? Which is very much the uh, uh, the analogy of the library in, um, like, Sandman, right? Yeah. Um, the one recently featured in Justice League Dark. Exactly. Um went and found the last issue of it, read it, and then remembered everything. <laughs> so he shows up and is like, no, Josie, you gotta, you gotta, uh, you know, uh, Strobe is her, like, car- you know, her superhero name. Strobe, you gotta, you gotta remember and, like, takes her and, you know, she is saying, she, she thinks she's hallucinating, she's overtired, all this, and finally, you know, he convinces her. And then, like, she and a reaction to him and reacting to him ends up, you know, manifesting her powers and was like, Oh my God, this is real. And it turns out that, you know, she has been kind of subconsciously retelling their stories that actually happened kind of thing. Um, and one of her, I thought this was a neat little trick. One of her fans asks her, you know, do you know how long it's going to run? She's at a comic book convention. One of her fans asked, do you know how long it's going to run? She was like, no, you know, I imagine it'll keep going to, as long as people are interested. But I do have an ending for, for when I do, when it does end. I kind of have an ending in mind for how I want to do it, right? And when she talks to Jack Sabbath, he's like, no, that, that's what really happened. That's why, we, <laughs> that's why it ended, right? Um, that, like, kind of the lead female character whose name is Snapdragon all we know is she is now in hell, banished to hell. Okay, and, like and like was, one is. And it was his fault. And she was the one who, when she manifested powers, her father, who was like this rich guy, I think his name is, uh, let's see, what is it? It's, uh, you'll love this, um, Miles Moniker. <laughs> right? Amazing. <laughs> Yes, and they lived in this uh, in this big old kind of mansion thing. So remember last week when I said one of the things I was excited about is to see what team this was kind of around? Yeah, I was going to ask because we talked about, like, I got maybe some X-Men vibes, you got some Titans vibes. Yeah, so I would say one. it is very, very much. There's there's definitely a little bit of X, X-Men in this, but probably more than any other team i'm getting a doom patrol vibe from it even better even yes. better here for it yeah 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 especially with like miles moniker right who is a guy who put the team to, her dad who put the team together kind of thing yeah the maybe chief. even a little umbrella yeah exactly maybe a little even umbrella academy kind of feel nice right? um yeah so which of very... course umbrella academy wouldn't exist without doom patrol so. exactly exactly yeah. so th- that makes complete sense right um, but I absolutely, I am all in on this. This is, this is really, really cool so far and I cannot wait for more. Awesome. Yeah. Let's talk about Batman Urban Legends number six. Uh, the main reason I want to hit this one is this sets up so many ideas and threads that we're going to see revisited over the next few months in different places. Uh, the first story is Red Hood and Batman in Cheer, Part 6 of 6. Uh, this is written by Chips Darsky, with art by Eddie Barrows and Debert Ferreira, Scott Eaton and Julio Ferreira with O'Claire Albert and Marcus Toe, with colors by Adriano Lucas and letters by Becca Carey. This is, I think, probably the, the sort of cleanest ending of the four uh, four stories of this one, because 
we know Red Hood's going to be around, but this does kind of resolve this plot with Cheer and Freeze and Batman. And I really like the way that it wraps up. Uh, I don't think we're surprised anymore when Zdarsky sticks a landing on something that is emotional. No, no, he he has shown his chops in that but particular he, regard. He definitely does it here. Uh, this is my favorite Red Hood story, period. Oh, very nice. Uh, the second story is Zealot in Blood for Blood, which feels almost like a prequel to the Grifter story that Matthew Rosenberg had been telling. This is written by Rosenberg with pencils by Chris Sprouse, inks by Carl Story, colors by Pete Pantazis, and letters by Josh Reed. Uh, this is this one's a lot of fun. Uh, it is about Zealot. As she is trying to kill Maxwell Lord. And it starts with her pretending to be Wonder Woman and ends with her fighting Wonder Woman. <laughs> okay. And this has a very vague, the end, dot, 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 question mark, uh, tag on it. Yeah. But we've, I mean, we've seen mentions of Halo going back to before Future State. Mm-hmm. clearly grifter was working towards something and as we learned in urban legend six like he is working with the wildcats including zealot zealots on comms with the same guy who grifter was on comms with okay so i think all of this is still setting pieces in place we don't know what's up but we're we're definitely gonna get more of this all right Then we come to the one that I think has been the DC book to spend the most time in the news this week. Uh, That is Tim Drake in Some of Our Parts, Part 3 of 3. Written by Megan Fitzmartin, with art by Belen Ortega, colors by Alejandro Sanchez, and letters by Pat Brousseau. Brian, have you seen the news about this one? I have not. I actually had this spoiled for me before I even could have gone to the shop and pick it up. And this is the rare occasion where, you know what? I'm fine with that. Because it actually feels earned and in a way a little overdue, I think. Uh, Tim Drake comes out as bi in this issue. Uh, And he's very much like at the beginning of that realization about himself. I think the moment where he does have that epiphany is well-earned in this three issue story. And to me, even, even goes back to Tynan's detective comics run. Um, I've wondered if maybe that's not where this three part story was going. I think you and I maybe even talked, if not on the episode, then off about is his meeting with his friend a date? Right. As it turns out. Yeah. As it turns out, the answer was yes. Okay. Um, but there, there's, I think, something about the way Tim was written going all the way back through Tynan's detective book uh, that really, I think, makes this feel like a natural progression for the character, having this realization about himself and wanting to explore it. Well, it, it, I mean, you can easily see where it ties into some other decisions about, like, do I want to quit and go to college? Do, like, it really kind of like yeah. that self-exploration kind of thing, right? Like, who am I? What? Yeah. Yeah. And I, maybe maybe that was never in Tynan's mind. I certainly don't want to take any credit from Megan Fitzmartin, oh, sure, who sure. I think did this expertly. Um, but yeah, it it really felt like a, a satisfying 
direction for this character to go. And we learn at the end of this explicitly, like we will pick up this thread in Urban Legends number ten. I so. mean, don't get me wrong, I'm 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 still a big him and Stephanie fan, so Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing that precludes that, right? Exactly. Uh and the last story in Urban Legends is Black Canary in Solo. This is written by Joshua Williamson with art by Trevor Hairsign, colors by Rain Barreto, and letters by Steve Wands. This is sort of your prequel introduction to the book that will be Deathstroke Incorporated. Oh. Um, Oracle reaches out to Black Canary mm-hmm. to ask her to help infiltrate Trust. Trust okay. is the organization that Deathstroke is working for in that book. Uh, and in fact... Who knows? Maybe he makes a cameo in this story. Yeah, well, I I think there was very definitely a reason that he showed up fighting Greeno and her in Justice League, right? Oh, but that wasn't Deathstroke, right? That was a Deathstroke impersonator. Yeah, I know, but... But yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with you that it's all connected. Yeah, there you go. I guess that's the right phrase, yeah. yes. Maybe I could put Deathstroke in my comment in quotation marks. Right? And I think I think when we talked about uh, Deathstroke Incorporated and solicitations, I asked the question, is this going to acknowledge that early New 52 Team 7 book and they're having been on that team together, Black Canary and Deathstroke? And the answer is, it seems like it, yeah. Like, they reference in this that, okay, yes, you've been on a team with this guy before, and Dinah goes, Ollie? No, not Ollie. Damn it. Uh but yeah, so a lot of a lot of things seeded this month in Urban Legends. All right. That sounds very cool. Uh, yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to read this one. Yeah. Uh also out this week was the first issue of Hardware Season 1. Written by Brandon Thomas with pencils by Dennis Cowan, inks by Bill Sinkevich. Colors by Chris Sotomayor and Letters by Rob Lee. Uh, Hardware, if you're not familiar with him, is an inventor who basically kind of has built this sort of Iron Man-esque suit of armor for himself, but in very different circumstances. He's basically adopted, taken in as a child prodigy by this billionaire industrialist. And the the billionaire pays for his school, gives him lab space, and basically does the whole "yeah, you'll just you'll just work for me" thing, right? If Thomas Wayne adopted Tony Stark, that's where. <laughs> if if an evil Thomas Wayne adopted Tony Stark, because the turn here comes when uh, hardware stops being stops just going along with everything and starts wanting to do good and not just make money. At that point, he becomes a liability, and his patron, like, sets him up for a fall by blaming him for the Big Bang that we see in Static. Okay, so if Lex Luthor adopted Tony Stark. There you go. How's that? That's, now you've got it. Uh, And this issue is very much an introduction to that status quo and these two characters. Uh, It's framed as hardware kind of making his escape and then confronting his former his former mentor patron uh dennis cowan and 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 bill sankevich art is a is a lot of fun here like seeing seeing these really sort of because they're a team that work together often and i think they tend to do 
I don't like using the word gritty normally, but there is so much like grit and grain in their line work together that I think it's the only word here. And seeing like big bombastic fight sequences, like a guy in a suit of armor taking on jet fighters and helicopters. Yeah, Yeah, and it's like, I want to point out when you say gritty, it's not gritty in like a noir crime, like not in a story wise. It is, it is very much the art. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Um, like it's too controlled to call it messy or chaotic, yep. but it's it has a feel that is very different from what you normally see in superhero fight books that are this yeah. big and bombastic. And I like that difference. I like that contrast. So it's, it's a little bit wild. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a team you more normally might see on a noir book, right? They did yeah. question yeah, together. That's fair. Yeah. Um, Brandon Thomas is always fantastic like one of my favorite newer writers hitting it out of the park here as well uh chris sotomayor rob lee always do great work and this is no exception so like absolutely absolutely worth checking out uh and i'm looking forward to seeing what else they do in this book cool i am batman number zero uh this is i think a really great use of a zero issue uh, it's, is this is this a bridge issue? In a lot of ways, yes. It it okay. picks up right after, uh, right next after Batman. next Batman's second son ends, mm-hmm. but he hasn't jumped into the bat suit yet. Okay. So this zero issue is very much like him deciding what to do with this. Like he's still kind of waiting for for his, uh, man in chair to crack some of the security on the suit even but it's him saying okay i need to do something i don't exactly know what this is i don't know what i need to be yet and this issue is is very much the process of him getting that answer uh it's not recapping everything that's happened already it's not spinning its wheels it's very much about him in a state of transition yeah and you see him at one point finally use the suit and do it in a way that that he realizes is not what he needs to be. And he, he makes a bad situation worse. Like He does what he means to and he saves people, but optically, like sort of from a PR standpoint, right. makes a bad situation worse. And realizes in that moment, like, this is, this is not the way for me to do this. I need to take a different approach. And that's where this issue leaves it. So I think it's a great zero because it shows sort of the 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 first rocky steps and then at the one i think he's going to be in a little bit more proactive place you know what it, it occurred to me that like talk about the the hardest one of the hardest heroes to like step into that yeah. role right is cuz not only are you a new hero who doesn't know how to hero right mm-hmm. <laughs> so to speak but the hero role that you're stepping into is Batman, which everyone has major, huge expectations about. Yeah. And yeah. it it feels very consistent with what we saw in Future State 2, mm-hmm. uh, where he is trying to do good and help people who need that sort of lift up, but also stop crime and also is like very much outside of the law. And everything we see in this issue feels like it also builds up to that status quo. Okay. Uh, I want to mention here, too, this is written by John Ridley, with pencils by Travel Foreman, inks by Norm Ratmund, colors by Rex Locus, and you might recall last week, I guessed who the letterer was, because there was no credit, and I was wrong. 
Uh, it is lettered by Dave Lanfear, right. uh, taking over lettering. So, uh, yep, a lot of a lot of fun. If you've been enjoying the Jace Fox as Batman stuff, definitely keep keep reading here. It's honestly, do, it's I, all kind of one long ongoing that could have yeah. been an ongoing. I do like the cover of this, where it's kind of that reflection of him at the suit, kind of in the suit. Yeah, yeah, that's, I, that's a that's a cool cool cover. Yeah. I uh, I picked up a variant that is uh, him in the suit, kind of just letting one of the peacekeepers have it, just because it's like super painted, rendered, gorgeous. Uh, but I like Very the cool. A cover a lot, too. Yeah. Infinite Frontier, number four, a book we have both read. Finally, we got to one. <laughs> well, and just so I'll be honest, I kind of intentionally pick things that I think Alex may not sometimes, just so yeah. we get a little bit oh yeah broader coverage yeah no i just we can yeah. finally talk together about something fair and enough, taking turns enough. a little little uh how, how the sauce is made here yeah yeah um we are written yeah. by josh williamson with pencils by paul pelletier jesus marino and hermanico inks by norm rapman raul fernandez and hermanico colors by hi-fi and letters by tom napolitano we get so much Captain Carrot in this. I love it. Yes. Captain <laughs> Carrot! <laughs> I just want to see him mention just a lot of animals sometime. Yeah. <laughs> you know, his super team. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and, uh, yeah, and Machine Man. I do love, how much do you love uh, uh, Thomas Wayne and Ellis in, in, together in this? It is one of those ideas that in my head I would hear and I'd go, mm, I don't, I don't know. know. That. I That's going to be a pretty tricky needle to thread. But as I've said before, like some of my favorite things are the things that I know are the trickiest needles to thread. Yeah. And this is one of them. Like seeing them in these almost, I mean, Thomas in his suit has this very like Miami Vice Don Johnson vibe. Very much so, yeah. And, like, I mean, it is, a, it, is, it is a white suit with a red shirt, yes. Yeah. Seeing them are in the White House and like both pull open their shirts and they've got their costumes underneath, like... <laughs> that, that moment when done well is never not satisfying. Mm-hmm. And I love it here. Well, and what I love is that, you know, it's it's super clear that like... And I don't want to say this, but it like you see it and it's like, wait, it just doesn't look right. And of course, what it is, is, of course, Ellis's colors are reversed. Right. Mm -hmm. And Thomas Wayne has the red circle behind the Batman symbol. So it's just the, that color alteration. It's like so familiar and let, and yet just a little bit. It's yeah. like, oh, yeah, I loved it. I, I really I really do dig that. That yeah. combination. I. I need them to just be teamed up forever, I think. Well, and Thomas has realized he, he, I mean, I think it's very clear, he will not go back to Earth Zero. Yeah, he realizes the mistakes he's made. Yeah. Um, so maybe he will stick. Because if I remember right, that Earth does not have a Batman. I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, we also get more of Chase and Bones. Yep. And. Maybe they're working to opposite ends, it might seem. Or if not even opposite ends, like certainly she is not just um, uh, uh, taking his word as gospel and going along yeah. with the well, following orders, right? I think it boils down to what he's up to, right? Because this issue oh, yeah. gives us the impression that 
obviously, I mean, this is Bones. He he knows more than he's letting on. Oh, clearly. But yeah. there's a vibe that maybe he's made a deal with the devil and she will not follow him down that road. Mm-hmm. And I think the idea of, like, that tension and seeing them split in that way is interesting. Well, and we'll get to it in a minute, but given what we get at the very end of this book, it, I mean, I think it becomes kind of obvious what kind of deal he thinks he's making. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. There's also that moment where, like, we see him sort of pulled in this different multiversal wave where he, like, in that way that kind of Mitch Garrods uses glitching art sometimes in books, like, we get that very, very sort of, like, caught between two TV channels take on Bones and different costumes that I really dug, and I wonder if that's not hinting at something else to come. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a couple other, I, I think, standout moments in this. One is when, um, so uh, the, basically what is the Justice Society at this point, right, has shown up on Hector Hammond's ship in the bleed. <laughs> and they're like it's a black lantern we gotta attack do that power girl just goes i hate zombies <laughs> yep and then jade of course recognizes who it is and like immediately is like nope 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 we're not fighting them we're gonna help him <laughs> roy yeah their reunion is sweet i like the i like the I panel too. and the round sort of round border me too me too i like that um, yeah, and then <laughs> we get the, uh, um, let's see, uh, the coming together of these two storylines, shall we say it that way? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Literally. The two storylines finally collide? Yes, exactly. That, that was, that was the phrase I was looking for and I just couldn't, I couldn't find it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. These two storylines collide. Yes. Um, and I love how long have we known, and I know I've seen this before. I just can't remember exactly how it happened or when, when Harbinger became like the AI for the House of Heroes. I that don't was all know. the way back in Multiversity, wasn't it? I think that was Multiversity. Yes, that okay. sounds right. Okay. I don't know if it predates that at all, but I know it was the case there. Okay. All right. Um. Yeah, and we get, basically what we get at the end of this is that there are character, there are major players on each of these Earths who feel like that these Earths should never be allowed to cross-pollinate again. Yeah. Everybody, you know what, isolationism is is the king when it comes to the multiverse. It's basically there. Uh, yes. No more crossovers. No more crossovers. And some of them are very predictable people, right? Mm-hmm. Like you get Magog, right? You get Superwoman. Those, all, those you know, make, uh, I, there's a Savannah, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, even Lady Quark makes total sense. Yeah. Right. Um. Then there's a couple who don't. The one who we find out that which has been kind of inside of this is a little bit disturbing. Um, yeah, but I also get like he has a very specific reason that he explains. He does. He does. So that does ultimately make sense. Yeah, and then you get there's a couple of these I don't know. So there's the and I, this one I do. There's the Joker who has a yellow lantern ring. Yeah. And I remember seeing him. Well, the ones I don't remember are who is behind him. I don't know. He has a very like '90s X Men vibe, mm-hmm. uh, very much like a bishop 
thing with the yeah he's got the like Celtic a... cross on his mm-hmm. eye, right? And maybe a big gun, and even a I can't tell if it's a metal arm or just like a metal pauldron over his shoulder. Yeah, I think it's very much a a cable esque take. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, and then the other one I I cannot remember. I know I've seen him before. I want to say it's a Mongol that has Superman's powers. That could be. Uh, I'm not. I'm not familiar with that character either. Yeah, but um, either way, like it is not a insignificantly powered team. Yeah, and like I said, their goal is to never ever. And this is where because Bones makes the comment about something about I'm going to make sure that our Earth is safe from the multiverse. Mm-hmm. So I think he has made a deal with them. Yeah, probably yeah. so. Yeah. Uh, we also learned this week. Uh, we don't have a lot of details about it beyond it exists. Uh, we've been told we'll get more details once Infinite Frontier ends. But DC announced this week a five-issue miniseries called Justice League Incarnate from Joshua Williamson. Yay. So, Yay. I think we know where these threads will continue. Yes. I think so. I, I, I'm very much in, I very much like it. It's Same. Good, good stuff. Tell me about Pennyworth, number one, Brian. Oh, you mean uh, Alfred as James Bond? Yes. Yes. Pennyworth. Alfred Pennyworth. <laughs> yes. Um, this is actually really, really cool. So um, this is very much, I think, from, from this, is, this is really the, a take from the show. Um, and it is Alfred when he is working for MI5. Well, uh, most of it is him as he is working for MI5. He's actually narrating this, and we find out that there is also a modern component to this story. And I say modern, obviously, right. Modern day, not Alfred being gone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah um, and, but the, him going back and telling the, this story is really, really cool. He talks about how, um, you know, he, I think there's like one page that talks about when he was young. Um, and that his father was a butler in the, uh, you know, basically what is the head of the British treasury. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there were always foreign dignitaries and, and people coming through the house that he was in and that his playmate was the, the, the daughter of the executor, um, which her name was Shirley, right? Shirley, you jest. (laughs) I don't, and don't call me Shirley. Um, but they it turns out they got recruited to MI5 separately like and like didn't reveal to MI5 their former relationship um but he describes her as the love of his life oh yeah but like he said you know we went on separate missions and we did this but whenever we worked together we enjoyed each other's company and like it was it's just really kind of cool and you see their like them working together as a team really well um and then we get cut to modern day uh, a little bit, and we see that he has been kidnapped and is tied in a chair. And there, whoever has him is like starting psychological things, like not letting him know what time it is and that kind of stuff, where he's at, uh, those kind of things. Um, but he talks about how, literally for years, his partner, whose name is uh, Davy Boy, um, how they have had, uh, he's, you know, it used to be phone calls where they would just call and not say anything and hang up at the same time every day mm-hmm. um, to each other. And, you know, then it 
graduated to email and now it's just an empty text that they send each other. <laughs> and that for literally like 30 some odd years, they have never missed a single day. And it's their, essentially their code to each other that if either one of them ever doesn't get that signal, they know the other one's in trouble. So Alfred is like, I, I, I'm not worried because I know when he does not get mine today that he will know that I'm in trouble. Um, and then uh, the very last page of this, we see that they uh, they actually have Davy Boy uh, kidnapped as well. And he's not worried because he knows Alfred's going to come save him. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Oh, Henry. <laughs> oh, boy. Oops. So, yeah, this is actually really cool. I, I really dug this. I, I, it was it was very different. I mean, nothing like a Batman story at all. Yeah. Uh, super cool. I like it. So definitely not in like current continuity. No, Earth no, 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 no. Okay. Nope. Uh, this is written. It was written by uh, Scott Brian Wilson. Art is Juan uh, Gideon. Colors by John Rausch. And letters were by DC Hopkins. Yeah, super cool. Awesome. Let's talk about Marvel now. And Defenders number one. Ooh. Written by Al Ewing, with pencils and colors by Javier Rodriguez, inks by Alvaro Lopez, and colors by Joe Caramagna. What did you think of this, Brian? I really, really dug it. Um, I like how they framed it and how he built this team, too. Mm -hmm. um, it was super cool. So if you remember in, what was it, Secret Defenders, right? Where he had the tarot deck that could essentially summon them, right? Yeah. Um, so he uses this tarot deck to, and has it build the team for him. Yeah. <laughs> and I like... explains this eclectic group of, yeah. I like the rule that it comes with. Basically, basically like, you can bust. Yeah. The more <laughs> cards you draw, the more likely you are to do something like world ending <laughs> like he kind of almost does yes yeah like <laughs> yeah. summoning a star into your living room yeah. as you do yeah let's uh let's summon a uh, gaseous nebula <laughs> into uh into your living room sure <laughs> um but yeah so we end up on this team we have uh who is it the mask raider right mm -hmm. of the kennebuck court raiders <laughs> yes <laughs> that was great I love that, like, this starts with him just pulling a gun on Strange. <laughs> yes. Like, what did you think it was going to happen, dude? Why, like, you could knock on the door. You could just knock. <laughs> I do love that. I'm the Mass Raider of the Kennebunkport Raiders. <laughs> that was great. And I love how Steven's narrating, and he's like, he's like, tool number one of the, of the magician, a quippy response. Which is just a lead into tool number two, distraction. Yep. <laughs> misdirection. That was it. Misdirection. It's like, okay, that's beautiful. Um, but yeah, so we get him, then he pulls Silver Surfer. I love the idea that it's like a magic deck that you're just pulling characters from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh we get Silver Surfer. Uh and then he gets Red Harpy, which is Betty Brant, right? Mm hmm uh, with, her, with her new gamma powers. Not Betty uh, Be Brant. Uh, no, Betty... That's, yeah, Betty Ross. Betty Ross. Yeah, sorry. sorry, sorry. Betty Brant, Betty, Betsy Braddock, Braddock, Betty Ross. Yeah, too many, too many. Um, but yes, <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, and then uh, finally, <laughs> then we get the one that is almost a, a problem, which is Cloud. I know nothing about this character other than I think I saw this character, like, read a 
uh, like one of those who's who's who kind of entries for this character one time. Yeah, I I was trying to figure out if Cloud is the same character who showed up in the Secret Wars A Force book that predated, like that basically set up the A Force ongoing in late 2016, somewhere in 2017, or if it's a separate character that in a human form looks like a galaxy i'm not i'm not sure if they're the same character or not if so that's the only thing i know cloud from if not this is the first time i've seen cloud yeah so um you know the living living embodiment of a what what they call it a space uh, nebula is it something i think yes yeah which is just like the most the most defenders crazy thing a nebula that gained human form via the influence of Cosmic Cube and a chance encounter with teenagers Carol Faber and Danny Milligan, whose bodies and senses Cloud combined and co-opted for their own. There you go. Um, yeah, and and then, of course, so when this happens, when uh, uh, this deck summons, you know, Cloud, Cloud does not have a human form. So in order to not have the entire world destroyed <laughs> uh, because this nebula has been summoned to Strange's living room. Um, he essentially lets the magic go completely free and lets it do whatever it will. Mm-hmm. And of course, because magic has a cost, um, Cloud is allowed to assume human form, but the cost is the fact that they get pulled in and thrown to uh what is what, the sixth reality? the sixth infinity the sixth infinity that's it so uh, uh i feel like maybe we need a quick crash course on cosmic it, history in the marvel universe such an al ewing thing isn't it well it is i mean when al ewing did uh ultimates and ultimates 2 mm-hmm. uh i actually referenced this at the beginning at the beginning of sword because i thought that maybe the mystery right. element the was it called mysterium even, I think so. Yeah, maybe uh, so. Might have been related to this in Ultimates and Ultimates Two, uh, which both came after Secret Wars. There was a conversation uh, that Al Ewing started about how how different, like the DC word might be omniverses, but sort of epics of existence between right. which nothing exists have progressed in the Marvel universe. Right. And essentially, the idea is that if you go back to Galactus being from a universe before our own, mm-hmm. he is from the sixth infinity. Yes. He was a scientist who fled from that time because he was like the one being who predated our universe. In our mm-hmm. universe, he became Galactus instead of... Uh, well. But we're now in the eighth infinity, right? We are. So yeah, there's there's an Frank, asterisk yeah. here. Yeah. Right. Um. The the sixth infinity is where, uh, the scientist who became Galactus was from. Yep. It had its own equivalent of Galactus, and then yes, after <laughs> yes. after Secret Empire, technically we transition from the seventh infinity to the eighth infinity, but the two of them are. Almost identical, except in the eighth infinity, some Ultimates characters always existed on Earth six one six, and Reed Richards and family built it from scratch. Yeah, uh, that becomes relevant only because of the existence of the element ISO eight, which prior to 
uh, Secret Wars was ISO 7, because that number identifier is based which, on its structure, which correlates right. to which infinity it's from. Correct. Yeah. Wow. Hey, there you go. Um, <laughs> There's your deep weeds alluing cosmic history. But So, the, all of this to explain that they get sucked in and pushed into the sixth infinity. Yes. Um, And meet a character who is like, I don't know what you're doing, but you better move or help us fight or something because Omnimax is here and Omnimax is Galactus, the the Galactus of the Sixth Infinity. And uh, I think we're going to find out that the person that they ran into is actually, what's his name? Gal- Gallon? Gallon. 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 Yeah, I just. Is Gallon's just mom, right? Well, yeah, because the. the, the... <laughs> what's the title of the next issue? <laughs> Galactus mom has got it going on. <laughs> I love that. I love Ewing so much. I do too. <laughs> I, I read this and like while I'm I'm like right in the middle of I'm going, oh my god, this is one of the most Alex books I've ever read. I mean, Al Ewing knows how to hit my sweet spot. Oh, oh. It's got it's got very you know, unusual characters that have been thrown together. They're getting pulled through. It reminded me kind of of the Exiles book, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're just like getting pulled into these different things and like they don't have any control over it and they got to deal with what they find. Very yep. cool. Yeah. Well, and I also, I don't want to move on before we talk about Javier Rodriguez and Alvaro Lopez. Oh, yeah. And especially Rodriguez's layouts. I'm not sure there's anyone right now who can balance like really conceptual layouts with also looking very traditional in structure, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like, like by contrast, you have someone I think like Kenneth Rokefort, who mm-hmm. does really, really specific, precise layouts that use mm-hmm. a lot of negative space around them and use a lot of strange panel layouts that are cool and effective and that I generally enjoy, but that don't necessarily, as you flip through it, like trying to decide what to buy on Mm -hmm. a Wednesday, necessarily look like a traditional comic book. Yeah. You you know what it almost strikes me as? This is gonna this is gonna be a little bit odd. It almost sounds like if Jack Kirby had been born and was an artist right now. I think that's valid. I think it's very Kirby in, in that way. And like it uses architecture and it uses perspective in in clever ways. Like there's a double page spread, the one where the masquerader is trying to pull the gun on Strange that has it has the same like feel as an Escher painting mm-hmm. without actually breaking any sort of space spatial rules. Right. Um, like it's all done in perspective. And there's another page where like the history of the Masked Raider forms in steam coming off of Doctor Strange's coffee or tea. I guess right. it's tea. Um, like, really cool moments like that that, as you read them, are so well-constructed, but if you just flip through, you know, it it still looks like a comic. Yep. Like a very yeah. traditional comic layout. Yeah, I, I very much enjoy it. I am very much looking for the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Now, on to Krakoa. Mm-hmm. Children of the Atom, number six, written by Vita Ayala, with pencils by Paco Medina, inks by Paco Medina and Walden Wong, colors by David Curiel, letters by Travis Lanham, and design by Tom Muller. The end of the line for the Children of the Atom. Mutants, no more! Well, mm-hmm. with one exception. Um, 
This issue is possibly the single best story of like how real world things are and people react to them and deal with them and the right way to handle that. Yes. Also a good, good dad. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Like, so essentially what this, this particular issue is, um, is Carmen comes, it's Carmen, right? Yes. Yeah. Carmen, um, essentially, you know, the team found out at the end of the last issue that she is a mutant. Mm-hmm. And it is. it starts out with their reaction to that, which is very, very poorly, kind of from both sides. Yep. Um, and then her going to Krakoa for the gala event. Mm-hmm. Um, which, by the way, the fact that she is a costume designer and Jumbo loved her costume and, like, wants to meet her and yes, talk more. I was like, so that's happy. just brilliant. That's just great. I love that. Um, I but also then, liked Mystique showing up, learning that she was a shapeshifter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure everybody's going to teach you how to use your powers, and that's all great. But if you really want to know how to do it, just come see me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but then after that, the next morning, she uh, is like, Mom, Dad, I got to talk to you. I got to tell you something. Uh, I, it, it's it's big, and it doesn't, you know, it it's not a choice that I made, but it's who I am. And her dad is just like, "Do you think we don't already know? We've yeah, we've known you your whole life. This and the other, and basically is like, we we know that you're. First of all, I love that he says we know that you're queer. <laughs> and the mom is like, "Don't say that word." And he's like, "What? That's what all the kids are saying these days. That's what they call themselves." <laughs> I think yeah. that's being the age that I am. I think that's hilarious. Well, no, I I've literally had that conversation with my mother. She at one point like asked, "I hear people people using the word queer, but I was always told that was a slur." Right. And I had to explain like mm, it's been basically reclaimed, right? Yes. Like it no longer has that same connotation. Correct. I it, I just thought that was wonderful. No, it's and, great. Yeah, and He's like, he's like, we've, we've known, you know, we're fine. That's great. Blah, blah, blah. And so she's like, no, stop. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes, but <laughs> that's not what I was going to tell you. And it, I, and it shows this scene of like her dad making some comment, like Xavier's on TV, right? Mm-hmm. Making obviously some statement about Krakoa and her dad making some things about, can you believe that he's acting this way and this, that, and the other? And like you know, a couple of things that could easily be taken as negative yeah. comments. Moments right? moments we see in flashback that have exactly. made her debate whether it would be safe to come out as a mutant. Exactly. So she does, which awesome, super bright. And her dad is like, no, like, does that make you not? part of our family anymore does that why would i love you any less and she's like but i know how you feel about it. he's like no 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 no. i have a problem with xavier's politics yeah. <laughs> professor xavier is a jerk yeah like kate pride was right yeah that doesn't mean i i have a problem with with mutant mutants or people but just like everybody else there's good ones and bad ones and like yeah like just because it turns out that, I mean, I'm not going to not love you because of that. So like, yes, the best dad yeah. ever. Right. And then, um, we get a scene of the children of the atom fighting, uh, <laughs> fighting, um, horticulture, horticulture. <laughs> our favorite old ladies. 
the yes. best supervillain team in existence. <laughs> Fighting horticulture, and they're having a hard time of it. It looks like they may lose. And then um, Carmen shows up and uh, kind of turns the tide for them. Um, and this is after, you know, like really, really hard words were kind of said between them, right? Yeah. And basically her decision was, no, I'm not going to throw away a friendship or not because we had bad words and it was hard and this, that, and the other. And so then we get basically what is like the most honest conversation and like how you should really handle things like that mm -hmm. where her and Buddy talk and Buddy's like, no, I know I reacted poorly, right? Uh, and part of it was that I was jealous. And a big part of it is the fact that it scared me that if you were a mutant, I might lose you. Like you might go to Krakoa and be part of this new big mutant thing and wouldn't be with us anymore. And I do have feelings for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, like just like the best, like, hey, it's almost like, Having that reaction, that big negative reaction, is like the most natural thing ever. Mm -hmm. But you can't let that be what then carries you forward. Like, you got to know. Then you have to have a conversation about what those feelings are and where they come from and why. And, hey, look what happens if you do that. <laughs> Absolutely. It was so good. Like, I, feel, I really feel like every single person in the entire world should have to read this issue. <laughs> Let's say the whole miniseries. Oh, yeah, let's do that, because that was good, too. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't really have anything else to add that Brian hasn't already said, except, oh <laughs> except I had a realization. And what's that? Because Vita Ayala is also writing New Mutants. Mm -hmm. We could see Carmen show up there. Oh. Oh, yeah. I, I can easily see, because, like, she has this great conversation with magic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's... And Danny, and uh, yeah, it's all good. It's Both all good. of these books play with a lot of the same themes of, like, identity mm -hmm. and finding that identity and negotiating how that identity changes in different contexts. Yep. I think it would be a very natural fit, especially after this issue, yeah, to I see Carmen too. join that cast. I do, too. And finally, X-Force number 22. Written by Benjamin Percy, with art by Robert Gill, colors by Guru EFX, letters by Joe Caramagna, and design by Tom Moeller. It's not easy being green. It's not. And why the hell is Beast... Why is it that I hate so much that he... I mean, he is effective, which sucks because he's so awful. Yeah. Yeah, the more the more I think about it, the more I think Case was onto something with that whole being influenced by the Krakoan landmass. Yeah. Like I think yeah. that is a theme that this book is going to have to pick up at some point soon. Mm -hmm. Especially as much as these latest issues have been about the the Telefloronics explicitly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, cuz there's very much a a thing where man's essentially manslaughter connects with and has a conversation with Krakoa and it's really the two of them that resolve this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Wolverine and Domino are just there to kind of, you know, slice and dice. Yeah. A little bit. Well, if they're lucky. Yeah. 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 Good stuff though. It is. And I like, I feel like we're getting closer to maybe starting to see some of the, 
dots connect between Zeno and Orcus and some mm-hmm. of the other big players. Like I don't, I don't and know that there's anything. Madripoor, ex- the Verindi. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that there's anything explicitly that says that's coming, but I feel like I feel like knowing that this book is sort of showing that character, Zeno's leader, more and more often. Uh, the the person with the peacock tattoo, mm-hmm. and knowing that like we've got Inferno coming up, and that feels like a big inflection point for the Krakoan era. Like I feel like we're gonna start seeing some of these things, and what we what we're getting in X Men, right? With yep. people asking questions about mutants coming back to life who they know are dead. Yeah, I think I think this is building toward. A big, a big moment. I feel like we've in the next three, four issues. I think we're going to get something big here. I'm really getting to because uh, we're what we're a year, about a year and a half in now to Krakoa, right? Like about two right? years. Two years. If we're now? counting House yeah, of X and Powers so. of Ten, I guess so. It's two years in now, and I think I'm. I think I'm at a point now where I'm starting to ask: Is is this a truly open ended thing, or do they have an kind of an end game for Krakoa era in mind that they're, you know, they're slowly putting pieces in place for, but they don't have to pull the trigger until they're ready for kind of thing. I, I have made the assumption. I think, I think that's a good question. I have made the assumption all along that Krakoa as a whole is probably working in a very, in the way that I think Hickman, when he works solo for his big two work tends to work, which is to say, we're going to have some hooks and we're going to introduce some ideas and we're going to build a simple layer of narrative. And then we're going to loop around to those hooks and those ideas and build another layer around it and another layer around it. And my guess is early on, those hooks were built to be like, okay, if this only makes it a year, we can wrap it up this way. Right. But given the success, given that the line keeps building and keeps selling, I think it's probably going to keep building out for a while. We know Inferno is going to be one of those big inflection points. Mm -hmm. And it may be that, like, the plan is to go for a year after that. But at the same time, I could see it going at least another 18, 24 months from there because there are a lot of ideas from House of X and Powers of Tin that we still haven't wholly revisited absolutely and that's why i kind of it actually made me think back to the unbelievable unteens right Mm -hmm. where she says yeah like i'm gonna i'm as far as i know the series isn't ending at any point that i know of but like if it ever does i've kind of got an idea of what that ending may be Mm -hmm. and it's that kind of thing where it's a yeah no we're not we're not planning an end right now like we don't know that it's going to be another you know two years but like if if we decide that this Krakoa age needs to stop, then we can, in a six-month period, kind of put this in place and pull this trigger and do this. Well, and I think this is also the virtue in that context of a writer's room, yeah. right? Like, if you need to expand, you have a dozen different brains contributing to how can we do that and it feel natural? What yep. are ideas we've introduced that we could spend more time on? What threads can we sort of bounce from book to book and make everything feel more connected right yep so i think there's a lot of room to say yeah 
this is the end of Act 1, this is the end of Act 2, this is the end of Act 3, and everything writ large, or however many acts they want to break it into. Mm -hmm. But how long each of those acts is, that sure. can expand. There's a lot yep. of room there. Well, and, it make, and, and the big one that makes me wonder this is all of the, the telefloronics and just how, how light they've been with some of the touches of it, mm -hmm. right? In, I mean, you've got X-Core with the, you know, other corporations don't like them because of this. Yep. You've got, you know, Zeno and that. You've got the Verindi and that. You've got Horticulture. Like, everybody, it's almost like the, um, when they get ready to pull that trigger kind of thing, it's the thing that literally turns everyone against yeah. them, right? And, you know, at the same time, we've yeah. only had the, the like, slimmest tease mm -hmm. of the sort of mashup future versions of characters that we saw in powers of 10 right we haven't seen moira since x-men number one the first one not the one two months ago uh although i think we'll probably see her in inferno i thought we saw her super like in literally one panel was it in the gallows event where they were talking about the eggs being you know the shyar crystals being delivered because she's at one of the or no uh do charles and magneto go visit her there may have been a moment there may yeah, have been a moment where yeah. we like over some other narration see an image of them talking to her but in I terms think maybe, of yeah in terms of having any sort of agency correct yeah yeah like we having have not influence seen her on, since. yeah right yeah correct um, she has not been a plot driver yes um, and, like, we know that the thing that sets off Inferno is Mystique being upset that they will not revive, uh, uh, um, not Memento. Destiny. Destiny. Thank yes. you. That right. they will not revive Destiny. Right. So, like, I think we'll see that come back, but we also haven't seen, other than the, the sort of awakening of Nimrod, we haven't seen much of the sort of far future fight against galactic robotic incursions we haven't seen the the sort of hook for the phalanx right. not the phalanx yeah the phalanx yeah yeah the, 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 the techno organic yeah. yeah yeah like there are a lot of pieces we've only barely seen hinted at like maybe maybe the space knights in cable Right, have right. some hook into that. Maybe. Well, and the and the Shire Matrix crystals are there's they had a little bit of a play in that I think yeah. somewhere, but yeah. But just the slimmest hints at so much of this still. Mm -hmm. Oh, but, I, don't get me wrong. I don't think that they are starting yeah. that end game by any stretch of the no. imagination. I just I I see that they have all. Of, it, it's like they've planted the minefield and they can just sit there for however long they need yeah. it to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay, is it All still right. good? Blacksmith number two. Uh, you know what? I'm not even going to say what happens in this, this issue. All I'm going to say is I love this book's sense of humor and, like, sort of weird, mundane, noir, but with monsters. And you should absolutely go check it out if you haven't. Eve number four, uh, the penultimate issue of this series... Eve learns that maybe she is only a part of what's been going on, but she might be the part that is different from past attempts to save the world. Mamo, number two, as it turns out, it matters where and how you bury a witch. And, uh, let's just say that Orla has a bone to pick with whoever buried Mamo. 
Batman number 89, Brian. Oh, it's not Batman number uh, 89. No, I said that wrong. Batman 89 number 1, Brian. Yeah, yeah this is the uh this is the Batman series based on the Tim Burton 89 uh Batman with uh, with smooth <laughs> smoothest man in the galaxy. Uh yeah, Billy D Williams as uh um um Two-Face uh Harvey Dent. Um yep. Barbara Gordon as a sergeant in the Gotham PD, right? Um, and this is very much uh, uh, so Harvey and Barbara are dating. As a matter of fact, now they're now engaged uh, in this. And Harvey is looking to, I think it's funny given the current state of, of Batman in uh, with Gotham and the Magistrate, is looking to crack down and and get rid of Batman as a vigilante because crime <laughs> is out of control yeah. and you know what Gordon has been doing isn't working so he goes to Bruce Wayne to see if Bruce Wayne would be willing to help him <laughs> <laughs> and he's like you know Gordon's an old friend of mine so yeah I, I don't know how much help I can give you but uh yeah essentially um and then we find out there is some other hooded cloaked person who uh basically fights batman um and we're not given any clues to who this is although i i do have a suspicion uh yeah this is just uh, it's a fun playground in that in that particular universe cool yeah detective comics number 1041 uh batman gets hugh viled and in the backup deb donovan the reporter who we've seen in Detective Comics, who lives in the same neighborhood as Bruce and does not like him, gets tipped off that bodies are disappearing from the morgue. Uh, and asks the question, what the fuck is Task Force Z? Is the, the title of this story. Future State Gotham number four, Brian. <laughs> um, you can't do that to Punchline. Only I can do that to Punchline. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... Uh, <laughs> I can't make that joke. I can't do it. We find out what happens to the mother panic armor. I was going to say something about milking the storyline, but <laughs> 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 yeah, we find out what happens to the mother panic armor. The milk wars erupt in future, in the future state. <laughs> so that's it. And Joker is a fucking regifter. <laughs> The Joker, number six. Uh, Jim Gordon visits Paris and uh, gets Barbara and Bullock to do some investigation back home for him. And uh, Harper Rowe has maybe her worst idea yet, which is getting herself thrown in jail so she can get close to Punchline without Punchline knowing. Punchline knows. Justice League, Last Ride, number four. We learn what happened to John Jones. Rorschach, number 11. Maybe, maybe the guy who's been investigating the attempt to kill Turley should kill Turley. Wonder Woman, number 777. Brian. Uh, Wonder Woman and uh, Seer so end up on Earth 11, or as they call it, Earth. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the, uh, the gender-swapped Earth. And, uh... She has to face uh, what may be one of her worst fights ever in fighting uh, Wonder Man. Yeah, Simon Williams, eat your heart out. <laughs> Bitterroot number 15. Uh, 
hey, guess what I didn't know and wasn't prepared for? This is the last issue of Bitterroot. At least for now. Uh, this is the last issue of what had been planned. There's a quick note in the back about how when David F. Walker, Chuck Brown, and Sanford Green started planning this book and putting it out, Trump had just ele been elected president. We hadn't gone through uh, everything we've gone through in the last couple of years. And while this book was always important and important to them, they never expected the place it would take like critically in comics and the response it would receive and how much it would be about the world right now uh so they've promised they will come back with more uh they have wrapped up the story they planned to tell in like i think a really satisfying very intersectional way um and maybe the last page teases at some nazi punching nazi fighting in the future well, they've said they'll be back with more and ask for patience, and I just, I can't recommend this book more. It's incredible, wonderful, uh, one of the best books of the last three years. Silver Coin, number five. We learn where the coin came from. Spoiler alert, there are witches and shitty misogynistic Puritans. The Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton, number three. Speaking Brian. of city, shitty misogynistic people. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Allison St. Marie really dodged a bullet. <laughs> yeah. And we now have five of our six sidekicks teamed up. Yes. America Chavez, Made in the USA, number five. The end of this miniseries. Um, much like The Fast and the Furious, this one's about family. Captain Marvel, number 31. Uh, I guess it's just the rules that if you try to take a romantic vacation... L'Oreal will crash it. <laughs> Daredevil number because she she did it to Billy and Teddy too. Yes, she crashed their excellent honeymoon. Mm -hmm. Daredevil number thirty three. Brian, um, if uh, it turns out if a bunch of bullseyes are trying to kill you quietly, then maybe you should just make a lot of noise. Fantastic Four Life Story number three. Johnny Storm learns an imp important lesson about growing up. And maybe the Star Wars missile defense system was never a good idea. Miles Morales, Spider-Man number 29. Miles starts putting the pieces back to the, back together after dealing with his own clone saga. Uh, and among those pieces is replacing a suit that's in tatters with some new threads. Runaways number 38, also a last issue I was unexpected unprepared for uh time travel space travel and uh too many people going away I, I i need more and i'm not getting more and i hope they announce more soon because i need to know what's next please thank you spider-man spider shadow number five uh peter parker learns that with great power there must also come great responsibility and sometimes i've heard that before Sometimes that means uh, not holding yourself responsible for the things you aren't responsible for. This week's books, King the Conqueror, number one of five, written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, art by Carlos Magno, colors by Espen Grudetjern. Brian. Yeah, this is a, a, a five-issue miniseries all about uh, the... I, the first one is the origin of King, but all about the... King is one of the, just because of the time shenanigans, one of the most complex characters, and I kind of love that stuff, so, yeah, I want it. We have 
Eat the Rich, number 105, written by Sarah Gailey, with art by Pius Bach, colors by Roman Tidov, and letters by Cardinal Ray. Uh, this is a story about a young woman who meets her wealthy boyfriend's wealthy family and reads, at least the solicitation text reads, like it's going to be a horror book. Uh, I am curious about the horrors of dealing with the uber-wealthy and how terrible they are. So I am very curious to see how this goes. All right. We also have Killer Queens, number one of four, uh, Chaotic Gaze in Space, written by David M. Booher, with art by Claudia Balboni, colors by Harry Saxon, and letters by Lucas Gattoni. Uh, reformed space uh, uh, bounty hunters now working for a monkey? Um, it looks like fun, goofy, over-the-top space hijinks i'm very here for it like some definite kim and kim vibes without just being you know someone trying to do kim and kim again yeah uh x-men trial of magneto number one of five yeah. written by leo williams art by lucas wernick colors by edgar delgado and letters by clayton cowles uh this is the fallout from the discovery of scarlet witch's body at the gala and uh yeah, um, gonna be real good. One of the things I want to point out, I don't if all four of these books that we talked about coming out this week are all miniseries, so not they huge are. investment. So, uh, you know, jump in them. Yep, get on it. I hear that King of the Conqueror is going to be pretty important in the MCU. Could be. And that will do it for us again this week. We would like to thank Chase Parker for our intro voiceover. Panelology is a member of the Certain POV Network. If you're looking for other cool podcasts about popular culture, go to certainpov.com. You can visit us at panelologypodcast.com. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash panelology. Get merch at bit.ly slash merch capital P, capital M. Or send us your questions, comments, or whatever at bit.ly slash mailbag capital P, capital M. I'm Alex. And I am Brian. Go read comics. CPOV. Certain POV dot com.